Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Right on Hollywood with Christian Toto, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. Sick of media bias infecting film reviews? Furious that too many stars insult your views? Right on Hollywood has your back. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, and founder of HollywoodinToto.com, the right take on entertainment. Now here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to Right on Hollywood, a proud member of the Just the News Podcast Network. This week's show is brought to you by Real Time with Bill Maher the HBO show that could save the Democrats this fall, assuming they start taking some notes. I've been learning the hard way that writing a book is the easy part of the process. I am in full promotional mode for Virtue Bombs, how Hollywood got woke and lost its soul. In the last two weeks, I've flown to both L.A. and D.C., and I thought I'd share some of the lessons I've learned along the way. My first trip to L.A. brought me to the studio of Brett Easton Ellis. Yes, the Brett Easton Ellis. Amazing. He couldn't have been nicer, and having a literary lion like him embrace my work, it gave me chills. It really did. What I think is really interesting and maybe even fascinating about Brett these days is that he hasn't gotten smaller over time. He hasn't sold out. He's not being precious. He's certainly not being woke. He is a rebel still. You know, it may sound kind of easy to be a rebel these days, but some of our very best and talented artists kind of throw in the towel. Now, I have to say, one of my favorite singers of all time, probably my favorite, is Elvis Costello. And it darn near broke me a couple of weeks ago where we learned that he's retiring one of his very best songs, Oliver's Army. Now, there's a lyric in the song that sounds kind of problematic. He uses the phrase white N-word. Of course, he says the word in question in one of the lyrics of the song. But it's not a racial slur against a black person. It's got some historical significance behind it, and that's why he put it in the song. But rather than defend that, rather than explain it to people, he shut the song down. He said, radio station, stop playing it, and I'm not going to sing it anymore in concert. <laughs> Man, that's amazing. First the Rolling Stones with Brown Sugar, and now Oliver's Army. What's next? And you know there's going to be a next. Now, Brett isn't a political beast. He's not getting canceled for his work. He's not apologizing for his work. And he's also not into tribalism, which is just an absolute scourge in our society today. He actually spoke to me off air about some of the friendships he has with people who are on the left. He seemed delighted to keep those friendships. I think that was pretty honest of him and pretty uh, true. He, of course, is aghast at this whole woke revolution, as am I. I wrote a whole book about it. But having someone like him on the freedom side of things, I gotta say, that's a good thing. It makes my heart pretty full. My other trip was to D.C., where I visited Team Timcast. I remember hearing Tim Poole's podcast a few years ago and thinking, this dude's a breath of fresh air. 
he either was a Bernie bro, a kind of recovering Bernie bro, certainly a person not on the hard right. He was kind of on the left, it seemed to me, but he spoke truthfully and honestly, and you could tell he was seeing what was going on in the culture, and he wasn't happy about it. And that is why, one of the reasons why I think he's been so successful and so interesting. And of course, now he's a star. He's got a million followers on on YouTube. He's got a million or so on Twitter. I don't know what other channels he's on, but he's just drawing a huge crowd. But what I liked about what he does is he's doing it on his own terms. And I have to say, going to his studio, I guess if I was in my 20s, I, I think he's in his 20s, he's a young guy. It's like what exactly what you would do if you were a younger person and suddenly got some fame, some wealth, some some kind of clout behind you. It's full of like cool collectibles, little statuettes, some great artwork. And I thought what was really interesting was you would think this might be kind of random and haphazard and kind of uh, kind of go as you go, as it were. But it's really well organized. And all of his employees and the people who are in his inner circle, they're smart, they're good, and they all work well together. Very impressive. Now, I don't think he's on any corporate podcast or any sort of big studio or, or company is behind him. He's a self-made guy. It's so clear why he broke out from the pack. I have to say, as much as I enjoyed the show and they made me feel completely welcome, it was a little weird at times because some of the conversations went in some interesting direct, uh, directions. Uh, there was one point we were talking about demons and spirituality, really kind of heady stuff. And I have to say, I, I got two kids. Uh, my wife's bouncing back from cancer. We've got a home renovation project. I work seven days a week. I don't even have time to think about those th- kind of thoughts. And I don't, I don't disparage them. I just can't wrap my brain around it. I'm just pulled in too many different directions. So I did feel a little lost when they were having those conversations. But uh, eventually the talk did go back to things I was more familiar with. So that was good. But uh, it just kind of showed me that this is a show that really just goes in any direction. And one of the interesting things about the show itself is that some of the people there, the guests, the regular players, they're smart and they're interesting and they're irreverent, but they're always searching and they're always questioning things. I thought that is what we need right now. More questions more curiosity, less rules, and more conversation. Tim is all the above, and it's pretty obvious why he's a hit. Now, I may go elsewhere in the next few weeks. My media tour is going to go through March, I think. So if I have any more cool trips along the way and meet any interesting people, I will definitely let you know here first. You're listening to my dad's podcast. He cried like a baby watching Snoopy come home. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This week's Toto's take is Bat Kid Begins. No, it's not a preteen Robert Pattinson taking the Batmobile off for a spin. This documentary follows Miles, a sweet little boy who's suffering from leukemia. Just awful. But there's a -a make-a-wish in the works and a whole city on his side. Now, to bolster this little guy's spirits, a lot of people go way out of their way to make him feel like a superhero. Now, Bat Kid Begins is really impossible to dislike, that's for sure. Kind of like the kid in charge here. He's just sweet and kind and tough as nails. You know, but I, thinking about it, I saw it a few years ago and it's now available on HBO Max. I thought, we need movies like this right now. Kind of a little burst of sunshine, a, a chance to see people in a big city doing the right thing for the right reasons. It's exactly what's going on here and it's beautifully captured. 
Now, I read a review or two, and they said, well, you know, it doesn't really dig deep into the material, and maybe there could have been other things they explored. And I, I don't disagree with that, but I think given the subject matter, given that it's heart-wrenching, given the fact that it's a really sweet story, I think simplicity is the best way to tackle the story, and it's exactly what they did. Bat Kid Begins is a charmer from start to finish, no doubt. And like I said, it's on HBO Max, but any other platform, you can probably check it out there too. Many conservatives keep their politics a secret, and it's no secret why. Today's Hollywood is way too willing to use an artist's politics against them if they don't align perfectly with the rest of the community. Now, comedian Adam Yenzer isn't shy about being a conservative. It didn't stop him from landing one of the coolest gigs in Hollywood. He was a writer for the long-running Ellen talk show. Not too shabby. He's also more than a writer. He's a funny stand comedian. He's also the mind behind the Cancelled News. It's a YouTube show that is like a late-night monologue, except it's funny, really funny. It's the right, it's the left, it's irreverent. Ah, love it. Wish they just put that instead of the Colbert monologue every day. I think it'd be much better. And most recently, Adam joined forces with the Babylon Bee. I know they shot at least one video together, possibly more in the works, and also they've been popping up a lot on their weekly podcast. It's a perfect match. Now, Adam's insights into Hollywood are pretty fascinating. He's, he's able to kind of be openly conservative, not hide it, not apologize for it, and stay gainfully employed over years. And I asked him about that specifically, and he had some really interesting thoughts about it. He doesn't have the secret sauce per se. He knows it won't work for everyone. But I, you know, hearing him describe how he's gone about being a conservative in Hollywood and thriving at the same time, it makes sense. Of course, best of all, he's just funny. So let's give him a warm, right on Hollywood welcome, no? Adam, I would guess you've had a whirlwind of late. You're working with the Babylon Bee now. The Ellen Show is wrapping up. And there's been a pandemic, which kind of got in between a lot of people these days. Tell me a little yeah. bit sort of where you are from a creative space. I, I, I feel kind of discombobulated at times from day to day. Has it been sort of hard to focus on the career? Does it get other distractions? Do you feel energized? What's, what's sort of your state of mind these days? Um, I felt very energized lately. Um, the pandemic definitely derailed stand-up comedy for, you know, a little over a year. Um, so that definitely was a difficult thing professionally as far as stand-up goes. And at the time I was working for Ellen, so it was a big transition um, switching to this format where she was kind of taping shows from her home and we were all working remotely over Zoom like a lot of people were. Um, but I left the Ellen show in June. Um, and since then, I've been doing some freelance work for the Babylon Bee that's becoming um, kind of a more regular gig. And I, uh, I felt very energized because stand-up's coming back in a lot of the country. And I had a great 10 years at Ellen. I, I really enjoyed it there, and I'm proud of a lot of what I did. Um, I just kind of felt creatively ready to move on. And um, since, since leaving that show and being able to put some more time into getting on the road and doing stand-up again um, and kind of collaborating with the Babylon Bee guys uh, and working on my YouTube show that I've been doing, I felt a sort of creative resurgence recently it's been it's been fun i would say excellent you know I, I know that the ellen show had all its controversy i don't want to kind of go there it's already been kind of decided on and and settled but i'm just curious that show was huge huge and obviously yeah. ellen deserves a lot of credit she's super talented is there something about sort of the behind the scenes 
the workings of a show like that that would surprise people? Or, I mean, to, to make a show that really connects with audience after year after year after year, it, there's something special there, obviously. What, what, what did you kind of see behind the scenes that you think was interesting or maybe fed into that, that ability to kind of reach out? Um, you know, it was, I, I enjoyed working there. Um, it's, it's hard to put your finger on just one thing. I mean, Ellen is incredibly talented, um, not just as a talk show host, but you know, her roots are in stand up comedy and her natural ability to just, you know, be a stand up comedian when you're able to write material for someone like that. Uh, that's a, a huge part of it. Um, I also think when I was there, the, the writing staff that I got to work with was just phenomenal. Um, I, I love the other writers, especially one of our, uh, our head writer, Kevin Lehman for seven, for several years. Uh, he was just a, he was a fantastic person to work for. He was, um, just this, this creative force when it came to, uh, you know, what comedy would work for a daytime show like that with that specific audience and, uh, still make people laugh. Um, so I, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to Ellen and a lot of credit to him. You mentioned kind of feeling creatively reborn or at least have a, a surge of excitement yeah. about it. It's an interesting time. You know, there's podcasting, there's YouTube. You, you, you leverage that pretty darn well, uh, working the Babylon B. It, it feels like in a way there are a lot of new tools at your disposal that weren't there 10, 20 years ago. Uh, it, do you feel overwhelmed at times with what all the things you could do? Is it sort of, you know... Each, each different tool connects with different skill sets you may have. How, how do you kind of approach as a comedian these days? You know, it's interesting. That's an interesting question because I, I don't feel overwhelmed by it. I feel like, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm on your, I'm on your show. So I come from politically a more conservative background, but I also have that sort of conservatism where I, I am sort of a traditionalist and I like what works or what I kind of am used to. So I really enjoyed getting back on the road for doing stand-up because it feels like a very pure form of comedy to me. It's just you and the audience and you get their immediate reaction, whether they laugh, whether they don't laugh, whether they groan, whether they like you, whether they don't like you. There's this, this pureness to it and it's just you and your perspective and your writing and your delivery. And I kind of like that control aspect of stand-up comedy. So that's still one of my favorite platforms. And then I grew up watching kind of comedy and variety shows. Um, you know, I grew up watching Johnny Carson and David Letterman and then Conan O'Brien. And I got to work for Conan's show for a while. And I have this very, very like deep personal attachment, both from my work in that industry and from what I loved growing up, that that's kind of what comedy is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And so when I do my YouTube show, it's felt kind of, intimidating and weird to me because I what I love about it is that I kind of try to do like a traditional late night style monologue or kind of what you would see on weekend update like that format I kind of stick to that because to me like that's the I, I it's like the best type of comedy to me just that format mm -hmm. and I am sort of apprehensive towards just how many different venues and options there are for comedy now when it comes to things like Instagram and TikTok and even other like YouTube shows, I find that the comedy industry is almost oversaturated with uh, like too many people doing too many different things and it's affecting people's attention spans and it's affecting the type of thing that is popular. Like on, on TikTok, there's a lot of 
comedy that I don't, I cringe calling it comedy because I don't <laughs> understand it. And there's stuff where it's like fake pranks. And I thought the whole point of a prank being funny is that it's really happening. I don't know what's <laughs> funny about staging a prank, but stuff like that goes viral. And it's been sort of not overwhelming, but sort of interesting and a little intimidating building an audience specifically on YouTube for this topical show that I'm doing because so much of this new media surge in comedy is based on like clickbait and algorithms and like whether you have the right keywords in your title. And I'll do episodes where I think, oh, this, this episode has the strongest joke. So this one's going to do really well. And it gets very few views. And then later there's one where I'm like, ah, that one was just so-so, but it has some keyword that everybody was searching that day. So it gets, you know, hundreds of views, which, which on my size channel is, is, you know, performing pretty well uh, at a hundred views. I know there's other channels that get, you know, hundreds of thousands of views, but mine's still growing, but it, it is intimidating because I'm still looking at like the, the quality of the comedy is always what's most important to me. And I feel like sometimes I hit that and sometimes I don't. Mm -hmm. But I get intimidated by this shift towards like algorithm and clickbait based comedy. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's very frustrating. The best of the best wor work you do may not be rewarded in the traditional fashion. Yeah. You know, I think when it comes to stand up and audiences, the, the cliche right now is that, well, people on the left, they're, they need their safe space. They get upset. They get outraged. They complain. But I also get the sense that people on the right uh, have a, maybe a thinner skin than they used to. What, what's your yeah. sense of audiences these days? Yeah, my sense of audiences is, is I personally, again, one of the things I love about stand-up is when I go out there to regular comedy clubs, you don't know what you're getting in that audience. And hopefully, best case scenario, it's a mix of points of view. You might have some super woke people, you might have some super conservative people, and you probably have people, you know, that lean right or left, but are kind of in the middle ground or independent across the spectrum. Those are the audiences that I love talking to the most because I think you can play off of the fact that some people agree with you and some people don't. And I think that gives comedy a really fun and edgy and exciting feel. Um, I don't know that I would say with conservative crowds, they don't sort of uh, go after in such a zealous way cancel culture in that they want to cancel people they disagree with. But what the whole sort of environment around cancel culture has done is it's polarized comedy where you have some sort of left-leaning outlets, like you have like the Colbert Report or Samantha Bee, and everyone who agrees with them watches that show. And then you have right-leaning outlets like Gutfeld or Steven Crowder, and everyone who watches that show already agrees with them. And I think it, it waters down comedy. It makes comedy, you know, you've heard the phrase like clapter where people are just going for applause and saying something that they know will kind of rally the base rather than something that's genuinely funny or challenging. Um, and I do think that there are people on the right that even if they're not canceling people they disagree with, they are in a way running to their own safe space. They're mm -hmm. saying, oh, I'm just going to watch these people that do comedy that I agree with. And um I, I don't necessarily think that's a good thing for people on either side of the aisle to run to. Cancel culture gets a lot of press for obvious reasons. I cover it all the time. Yeah. I'm sure it's concerning for you too. Are there, or maybe is there a silver lining when it comes to cancel culture where, oh my gosh, there's a, there's a huge opportunity for someone who doesn't abide by the rules to get a new audience or to get, to find an authentic voice that maybe connects with people in a way that others aren't doing right now. Is there kind of try to find the silver lining here, the class yeah. half full? What's, what's your take? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think what you said is true. There's, there's a silver lining in it in a few ways, you know, it does let you sort of stand out and be unique if you are willing to stand up to that. Of course, that comes with risks as well. If you, if you wind up getting canceled or silenced or losing work yourself, um, it also, you know, gives us something to talk about and something to challenge. There mm-hmm. is this sort of contrarian streak in a lot of comedians. Um, there's this kind of idea that you want to challenge, you know, people's preconceptions or challenge their sort of existing views. And cancel culture gives you a very sort of definite uh, target to to hone in on. Um, so I think there's definitely you know a silver lining there. And then uh, one thing that I haven't really experienced personally, but I, I've had discussions with other comics, uh, both on the right and generally throughout the comedy industry about this, is uh, there are for some comics uh, now because there's such a backlash against cancel culture there is some reward to be reaped sometimes in being canceled (laughs) because you may have been not on anyone's radar. And then if you can claim, Oh, this group is trying to cancel me or I'm, I'm under threat of this, you know, cancel culture mob. There are people who will, you know, come to your support and follow you on Twitter or come, you know, subscribe to your channel and speak out for you just because you're being canceled. So it can sort of help you to get an audience among a certain segment of the population that just likes pushing back against cancel culture. I think maybe it might've been Seth Dillon of the Babylon B said every time that big tech squashes them to any capacity, they, they rebound to get more listeners, more viewers, more people checking it out. So I totally get that. But yeah. Oh, one thing I want to ask is that you work with the B now and the B is so unique in the comedy space because it's attacking targets that many people don't want to attack. Take us behind the scenes of the B. Is there anything different about what they're doing? I know, I know that you know who they're making fun of is unique yeah. at this point. But is there anything else about what they're doing, their approach, the way they they kind of uh, craft a joke or craft a narrative that you think is interesting or you can share? Um, I mean, what I've loved about working about them so far, uh, I've just been working with them for about six months, and I kind of started off freelancing, and now I've been working with them more regularly. Uh, you know, they started in this sort of satire space doing satirical news articles like The Onion, and they kind of became known for that. And now they're expanding into sketches and animation and podcasts. Um, and I kind of like that they're that they're growing into that platform more. Um, as far as their like their approach to comedy, uh, one of the things that I like about a lot of what they do and what I've always sort of felt in my stand up is when I am doing comedy or when they're writing satirical headlines, you know, you want to write something that even if it comes from a uh, right-leaning perspective or is going after a target that you're not supposed to go after, hopefully the comedy and the the funny is strong enough that it will appeal to all people or at least make some people laugh even if they disagree. So I think that's a very strong thing to hold on to that sort of pushes back against what I was talking about earlier about the sort of polarization of Mm -hmm. there's only left-leaning outlets and right-leaning outlets. You know, the Babylon Bee definitely has a conservative Christian base and they are more right-leaning politically, but they also do some satire that just, you know, pokes fun at, at culture generally or, you know, goes after some pop culture story that hopefully everyone can laugh at. Um, and they also have a sense of humor about themselves, you know, as much as it's a Christian platform, they'll make jokes about church culture and about, you know, sort of some of the hypocrisies or excesses of, of sort of stereotypical, um, you know, Christians. 
And they aren't afraid to occasionally, you know, do a joke that targets Republicans or targets Donald Trump. Um, so they definitely have their sort of right leaning and Christian perspective. But the approach is that, you know, hopefully this is strong enough comedy that it will make everyone laugh and that it can appeal to a wide audience. I often write about comedians and even other talented folks, directors, actors, writers who face some sort of discrimination because they are on the right. And, I, you know, you worked for Ellen for a long time. I get the sense you've been able to, maybe the right phrase could be thread the needle, to be right of center, yeah, to be open. Exactly. <laughs> so what, what's your secret sauce there? What, I mean, how, do you, how are you able to do that without facing significant repercussions? It seems like you're getting work. It seems like you've got friends across the aisle. You know, you're out there touring. You know, things are going well for you. And I, I would say if you were doing something similar, you could get in trouble or you could face some consequences. So what, what, what can you share with others, maybe other like-minded souls about your success story? Yeah, people always ask me, how have you not been canceled? <laughs> and it's, uh, it, it's, it's one of those things. Threading the needle is, I think, a, an accurate description of it. There's a few things that go into that. One is what I was just talking about, where I always, in my stand-up, try to write jokes that you know present my conservative personal beliefs, but in a way that's funny enough that hopefully people will laugh, even if they're on the other side. When it comes to sort of personal interactions in, in Hollywood and behind the scenes and on comedy shows or television shows that I've written for, um, I have never hidden my beliefs. So I've always been very open about it, which, you know, to my credit, I've sort of developed in this industry without ever having been, you know, quote unquote, like in the closet about my conservative beliefs to where I have to make this big reveal. Um, I've also stood up for my beliefs consistently. I don't back down from a discussion or a debate, but I also try not to be deliberately offensive. I don't mind being deliberately challenging or deliberately provocative to a certain degree, especially in my comedy. But in one-on-one -on -one discussions, I'm not approaching it as you're an idiot because you believe this, mm -hmm. or I hate you because you know, you're so dumb for this, or I can't believe anyone be so stupid as to you know vote for someone on the other side. I've always been very open to having conversations with people who are in the middle or on the left. And I, I, I don't know that I can articulate exactly how to do it. <laughs> um, but it's what I would recommend to conservatives in the industry. Don't hide who you are. Don't hide your beliefs. But there are times when I see people in the sort of conservative entertainment and media sphere where it seems like they'll say something that is deliberately the most offensive and most provocative position or, or phrasing that they could take in presenting their point of view. And, you know, maybe there's a, there's an audience for that. Like someone who comes to mind, for instance, is like a Candace Owens. There's people like that who the base will love her for saying that, but are you going to win any hearts and minds for saying that? Are you going to, you know, draw anyone to your side by saying that? I think it's debatable, especially, if they're not someone who's already open to having this discussion, I think it's kind of that there's a way that you can challenge people's belief without it like alienating them out of the gate. And mm. I think that's kind of always been my approach to having these discussions, both through my comedy and behind the scenes. Well, I mean, you said you weren't sure how to describe it, but I think you did a pretty good job there. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I spoke to someone who was an entertainer. And he seemed kind of a little bit on the right, but he really, in our conversation, which was going to be public, 
wanted not to focus on that. Kind of wanted to stay quiet about that pers- that side of his persona. And you and I were talking off air, and you mentioned someone maybe in a similar position. Yeah. Do you get the yeah. sense how how common is that? Is that are these just kind of random anecdotes? Uh, he or she is kind of laying low, or is it really more? commonplace and and more more than you'd think i mean i know it's anecdotal you're yeah. just one person but what, what's your sense given the work my, you do behind the scenes of like the number of people in hollywood that um you know are conservative but aren't willing to say it and even across the culture i mean there's been polls that you know have shown there's a lot of people in many industries that are afraid to say what they think politically or afraid to speak their true beliefs uh my experience in hollywood is that it's common enough that there are some at nearly every production, every show, every mm-hmm. movie set that you can think of. There are at least some in every production out there. It is not so common that I think it's a silent majority. It is not so common that I think if they all spoke out, it would instantly change things. It is common enough where I think if more of these people, I think more of them, and I don't, I don't blame anyone for not being open about their beliefs because I believe I, I do understand the risk in it. I understand that it can jeopardize your career and your livelihood and your source of income if you were to be canceled or if you were to say the wrong thing or offend the wrong people. But I think there's enough that they should be speaking out because it will gain momentum and will show people that there are enough of us out there that you can't just silence us. Mm-hmm. And there are enough of us out there that without all the people who are, you know, secretly conservative, so to speak, a lot of these productions wouldn't be able to run. There's people in key positions that that have hold these beliefs. Um, there are people out there who are, you know, in both the sort of lower staff level and production crew and in a few cases at higher levels that, you know, would would wield some power if they were very open about this. Um, and it's just, you know, the thing to keep in mind is that these people on the far left and the woke mob that want to silence us, when you're being silent, you're giving them what they want. They want us to be intimidated. And the fewer people that speak out, the more intimidating it is for those that do. Uh, so, you know, like I said, be sort of cautious and amicable, it may be, in the way that you talk to people about your opposing beliefs, but I don't think you should hide it. I think we need more people who are open about it. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, it's it's a bullying tactic, and it often works. It is, absolutely. Adam, one last question. It's kind of an unfair one, because I, I want to just pick your brain on this topic. Sure. I'm just very frustrated as a consumer that there aren't that many big, crazy, body comedies that are being made today. The Bridesmaids, The Hangover. I, I just I always love that kind of humor. I just think it, yeah. it brings people together. And I thought, you know, is there anyone out there doing that, planning it, plotting it? I know Ryan Long has kind of hinted he's working on a screenplay, but I don't really know much more about that. And then I thought, gosh, The Bee would be kind of perfectly situated to kind of get in that space. But just as someone uh-huh. who works in, in, in this industry – do you have any sense of anything bubbling up or any any sort of like-minded project that could be you know, outrageous and funny and, and offensive, but but so funny it'd be okay? You know, it, it, that makes sense. You know, I, I don't know of a whole I, – I don't think I know of any, like, secretly that aren't, like, you know, public knowledge already. Um, I Like, coming more from sort of the television and stand-up background, I know a lot of stand-up comedians who, you know, want to – you know, take a stronger stance against cancel culture. 
and the sort of a lot of stand-up comics in general sort of where Dave Chappelle and, and Bill Burr and people like that are kind of leading the way of mm -hmm. standing up against candle cancel culture um, because they're, they're almost too big to, to tear down. And now they have these corporations like Netflix kind of standing by their side. Um, that gives me some optimism as far as stand-up specials and that sort of thing go. I know of a few attempts to sort of make conservative versions of like, like a sort of conservative daily show or conservative Saturday night live. I know of a few different places that have productions like that in the works. Although, um, just to, not, not to be pessimistic, but say at least I'm skeptical of how, of the quality of the comedy content that they'll be able to produce and mm -hmm. the sort of platform, whether it will really take off and have a sort of cultural impact. Um, but as far as like movies go, I, I don't know a whole lot about what movies are going to production. The thing that gives me a lot of optimism is I know South Park has been around forever and I think they are, they're very good at being sort of equal opportunity offenders and having uh, a very smart point of view, but that comes through in very dumb and bawdy jokes at times. <laughs> and I know there's a new season of South Park coming out and they're also working on a live action movie um, that was just announced. Uh, so those guys kind of kind of give me hope, you know, that there's some hopefully some quality content coming out sometime soon. Yeah, it's a great point. I think they would they're almost grandfathered in at this point. And I think if they were able to do something outrageous and offensive, they'd be well, it's the South Park guys, you know, that's, that's what they do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Adam, thank you so much for joining right on Hollywood. You can find Adam's very funny stuff at the Babylon Bee more and more these days. Also, you can check out his YouTube page for his canceled news, which is like a late-night monologue, except it's pretty darn funny. And then also visit adamyenzer.com for his stand updates. So, Adam, thank you so much. I appreciate your candor. You're a funny guy, and uh, I think 2022 has been a pretty, pretty solid year for you, I imagine. Awesome. Thank you, Christian. Thanks for listening to Right on Hollywood, part of the Just the News podcasting family. We've got some killer guests lined up in the next few weeks. I've been recording and recording, really keeping busy. But if there's anyone you'd like to hear on the show, please let me know. You can grab me on Twitter. I'm at Hollywood in Toto. Or just shoot me an email. My address is Christian at HollywoodInToto.com. I can't guarantee I'll get everyone you want to hear on the show. I think if you mention Tom Hanks, he might be too busy, but I will do my best, I promise. Until then, have an amazing week. Let's do it all again next time. And please, if you're outside, and especially if you're outside and alone, can we keep those masks off, please? Science is our friend. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Right on Hollywood podcast, part of the Just the News Network. We'd love to hear from you about the show. You can email Christian at HollywoodInToto.com. And please don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews make our day. But just speak from the heart. Free speech matters more than ever. Yeah.